Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the second episode of Arcade Nostalgia Memories Podcast. I am your host, Scotty, also known as EBC. To my right is the eminent Legion Cage, also known as Rob. And our special guest this week, the Joho. Everybody give it up for the Joho. How you doing, gents? Fantastic. How about yourself? Plugging along. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing pretty good, all things considered. All things aside, doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Well, we apologize for getting uh, started a little bit late here today. Uh, we had a couple of issues, uh, but uh, it's fine. It's no big deal. There's there's nothing to... Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> I'm, in the, I'm doing the thing. <laughs> <laughs> They're each looking at their wives and just like it's all their fault. Yeah. All right. So uh, second episode of Arcade Nostalgia Memories podcast. Our first episode was with Doom, Angle Doom, and his uh, favorite game, Black Tiger. This week, uh, we're getting uh, a little more modern uh, with Joho, who is significantly younger than Doom, who is the oldest person on the face of this earth. And oh, wow. um, Don't let him hear that. Yeah. Don't let him hear you said that. But I mean, it, it, see, he's only a little bit older than me, so I can say that. Uh, but uh, a little bit more modern with uh, Borderlands 2 today. So let's go right on over into our main commentary on Borderlands 2, which is the game that um, Joe has chosen uh, to present to us tonight here. He said it's not his favorite game, but I'll let you elaborate on that. Well, yeah, so when you first reached out to me and you were like, I need you to play your favorite game for 45 plus minutes, and I was like, oh, that's easy, that's Kingdom Hearts 2. Um, and then after I got to poking around on, because originally you could do Kingdom Hearts 1.5, 2.5, and 3 on the Game Pass. This was as of last year because I played it for stream. Uh, and then I was like, I'll just I'll just fire up my Xbox and do that again. And they took off 1.5 and 2.5. And the only option that I had was to try to jerry-rig like a Coptimus Crime-esque sort of setup where I had one camera recording myself playing it on the monitor because I didn't have a capture card for my PS2 because I still own a PS2 and the original copy of the of Kingdom Hearts 2. So it was a big mess. Long story short, I picked the game that it had that it like is it hits it hits like nostalgia for me a lot. Um which was Borderlands 2. Okay. And that's fine. Um, but, you know, the, the whole point of the the podcast is uh, reaching back into, you know, your childhood, into your youth and saying, okay, why is it that uh, this particular game has such great memories for me, uh, such nostalgia? You know, why is it so important to me even after all these years? And it doesn't necessarily need to be your favorite game. It could be, you know, anyone that fits the bill for that. So that's that's perfectly fine. Um, that you, uh, you chose Borderlands 2. So a little bit of information came out in 2012, uh, immediately for PS3 and Xbox 360. They all supported it to Mac and Windows at the same time. Uh, two years later, in 2014, they made another uh, port for Linux, and then in 2016, a version for Android. Um, has not been redone, uh, but they keep on adding to the series. It, it, um, is it a closed series yet, Joe? Or nope. they keep going. Uh, 
the third one that came out a year and a half ago uh, had a cliffhanger ending. Uh, and then they're supposed to be doing, uh, much like they did the pre-sequel, they're supposed to be doing uh, like Chronicles from the Borderlands, where they do more than just the main location, which is Pandora. Okay. And we'll get um, more into um, the gameplay, the storyline uh, here in just a little bit. But first, we're going to go over to Cage with This Week in History. All right. Uh, so let me take you back. All right. Friday, September 18th, 2012. I actually do remember. I don't really remember the day because I don't remember a whole lot of anything, but I actually, at the time, I worked for a very popular large video game chain, and I had to work this day because it was going to be the biggest launch of September for us. So, um, so yeah, it's Friday, September 18th, 2012. Back then, Barack Obama was still our, I just said Obama, uh, Obama <laughs> was still the president of the United States. And for our UK friends like the Isnib, David Cameron is the Prime Minister in the UK. Uh, coming across your radios, the top five songs in the USA were Maroon 5's One More Night, Taylor Swift's We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together, Some Nights by Fun, Whistle by Flo Rida, and Blow Me One Last Kiss by Pink. In the theaters, Finding Nemo is actually back in the theaters, being re-released in 3D but it's actually playing second fiddle to Resident Evil Res Retribution, which was, like, number 15 in that questionably decent movie franchise. Uh, <laughs> the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy is dominating the New York Times bestseller list still. Actor Awkward. Jason... <laughs> A little bit, but it's okay. Uh, actor Jason Sudeikis would celebrate his 37th birthday. Cyclist Lance Armstrong would be celebrating his 41st. Um, but most importantly, Borderlands 2 was released that day. As Scotty said on PC, PlayStation 3, and Xbox 360. Now, Borderlands 2 was set five years after the first game uh, and would offer up the most loot, more shooting, and a lot more explosions compared to the first game. The script was actually seven times longer than the original game. Um, and overall, the game would end up selling more than 20 million units, making it 2K's most successful release. At the, uh, the game was actually supported post-launch uh, by two additional playable characters, five Headhunter mini-campaigns, and four downloadable packs. The final one, which was called Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon Keep, was a fantasy tabletop RPG-themed DLC that ultimately ended up being so popular they're using it as the basis for a new game entitled Tiny Tina's Wonderlands due out next year. Um, the game received generally favor favorable scores, such as 9 out of 10 from IGN, 9.75 from Game Informer, 8.5 from GameSpot, uh, and garnering right around a 9 out of 10 on Metacritic. Uh, Polygon's review of the game wasn't terrible at 7.5. However, Arthur Gise said the game had, quote, MMORPG quest design of the worst kind, unquote, and believed that Gearbox just added unneeded filler and content to boast the game's length. Um, <laughs> uh, Borderlands 2 was nominated for eight Spike TV video spike tv video game awards winning four of them including best shooter and best multiplayer game 
It would also win awards at the 16th Dice, Annual Dice Awards and the National Academy of Video Game Trade Reviewers Awards. Uh, I think Scotty kind of uh, was going to touch on this, but the game was uh, later ported to the PS Vita and very poorly, by most people's opinions, uh, as well as getting ports to the Xbox One, PlayStation 4, and Nintendo Switch as part of the Handsome Collection. You know, I saw that on the uh, Moby Games, um, that they had a different version for the PS Vita. I didn't even look at it, but I mean, because it was literally by itself when everything else was grouped together. So apparently that's why it was that piss poor. <laughs> and out of all of that, the only thing that really stuck with me is uh, Fifty Shades of uh, Shades of Grey dominating the market. That That's just like... Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> so- Here's an interesting thing to note is that they re-released the entirety of the Borderlands collection on the Switch a few months ago. So that's the second time it's been ported to handheld, quote-unquote, handheld consoles. Uh, and that took a lot better than the PS Vita did. Yeah, hmm. I don't know if you guys ever played the Vita. I do actually own a Vita. Um, and I did play the Borderlands 2 port when it came out on the Vita. And it was really bad. They're yeah, very- they said it was so buggy. Yeah, there are very few times that I've exercised my uh, my ability to uh, uh, improperly return items at the retailer that I worked <laughs> for, but Borderlands 2 was one of them. Wow. And it's funny that you uh, brought up uh, Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon Keep because that's going to be the main focus of our playthrough video that uh, was provided by Joe to me as we go through this tonight. But we're going to take a quick short break first before we dive into that. Stay tuned uh, and we will be right back starting with that playthrough in just a few seconds. All right, we're back from our short break, and now we're going to go into the playthrough that Joe has uh, started for Borderlands 2. And uh, while we're getting into that, Joe, can you uh, start giving us some information on how the game is played and what we can expect from the gameplay that you're doing here? So the first uh, Borderlands is focused on a planet called Pandora, where there's a legendary vault and these uh, intergalactic uh, bounty hunters are sent to the vault called there by advertisements. And once they arrive, they find out that uh, the tyrannical corporation Atlas is sort of having a military takeover. And because there's no centralized government, the entirety of the this part of the universe is run by major corporations that sell weapons. Um, because Pandora is kind of like if Australia was a planet, is the best way I could put it. There's Everything there is meant to kill you. Uh, and um, you play as a party of mercenaries. You can choose from uh, four characters. And this is in the first Borderlands. You play as a party of mercenaries that go through the story and find out that uh, Atlas is trying to open the vault, and so you're trying to beat them to the vault. Uh, and when once you get to the vault, um, you realize that the vault is less of a treasure trove and more of a prison for these um, elder gods-like beings that are kind of like Cthulhu and size and nature. Uh, and the original aliens that sort of set this planet up as a, a giant lockbox for Cthulhu were called the Guardian Race, and they left relics as well as 
kind of ephemeral ghost-like beings behind to guard the vault because they didn't want these uh, supernatural, super powerful um, sort of godlike beings to escape their prison and run amok in the world again. Uh, and you, once you defeat, uh, after opening the vault, once you defeat the giant Cthulhu-like monster, um, you know, you become this galaxy-renowned mercenaries that open the vault and that attracts more people over uh, to Pandora. So in the second game, you pick up where after the fall of Atlas, um, you're called there by this uh, the antagonist named Handsome Jack and you're no longer the original group of mercenaries. You're the second group of mercenaries um, that arrive and you're ambushed by Handsome Jack because he wants to eliminate the competition and just, you know, scavenge what they have and then put the Hyperion stamp on it and uh, use those people as kind of like a shield or a body shield um, while he's running amok on Pandora. And so you play through the game. Um, first of all, you try to get back at Handsome Jack, which he's a fantastic antagonist, I gotta say. his The way he's voiced, how he's written, it, it's beautiful. Um, some The reason why Borderlands 2 is my favorite game and not Borderlands 1 or 3 is because of Handsome Jack specifically uh, as a villain. And I don't know if either of you have experience with him, but he's just phenomenal. There's The way he does his banter uh, during the story mode is great. But getting back to the main story, once you find out that his daughter is a siren, which is a very powerful, enhanced human, and the reason why he's uh, or and he's usurping her power to open the vaults because sirens are um, somehow inexplicably connected to the power of the vaults and the guardians they have uh this supernatural ability uh and there's there can only according to legend there can only be five of them at a time and both the first and the second story or games as well as the third one they go over that how important it is to have a siren and when you find out that handsome jack is keeping his daughter um in prison uh usurping her power to open the next vault uh which is found uh later on then uh, you kind of want to go after him, and um, you wind up killing her, which is sad. Spoilers. I won't say what happens after that, but you meet up. The cool thing about Borderlands 2 is you meet up with the original protagonist that you played, and they're still voiced by the same people. The only changeover in voices was from 1 to 2 was uh, Scooter, which Scooter is my second favorite character in that series um because of his lines and the way he was written but not only that is just he's a fantastic character um but anyway uh you get to re uh unite with some of those favorites and they become not player characters but kind of like help helpers to you and during side quests um and it's just really cool that they wrapped all that into the main story and you know they were a very integral part of the story for this first second and third uh games so you once you defeat handsome jack again uh you open another vault which is said to be uh to house an even more powerful godlike creature than the one in the first uh the first game um you beat handsome jack and you find out that 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 vault held it's kind of like an intergalactic map to all the other vaults and that was kind of the open-ended ending um for three where you pick back up so um but really fantastic story they closed some lines with and they explained 
Um, they explained how the original protagonists were called by Handsome Jack himself. He was the one who put out uh, the kind of advertisement, quote-unquote advertisement. And um, favorite lines from the game. Okay, I've got a few. <clears throat> so my three favorite characters are Handsome Jack, um, Scooter, and Tiny Tina. And uh, without going into why, I'll just give you some of their lines. <clears throat> I picked up a pony made of diamonds the other day, and I've been thinking, I've been having trouble calling it, or calling it by a specific name. Something catchy. Maybe something in honor of you, like Piss for Brains. No, 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 that's too stupid. How about this? How, how about Butt Stallion? That's right, we'll go with Butt Stallion. <laughs> and then later on, in, in that same mission that you're on, he goes, uh, wow. he goes, I don't think you understand. I bought a pony that was literally made of diamonds. Here it is, right here. Butt Stallion, here, boy. Um, and then you hear the horse kind of neighing in the background. And then Scooter, uh, every time you go to one of his uh, vehicle uh, depots, it's like a digital kind of kiosk, he always gives you a great line. He says, my daddy always said wheels is better than heels. Of course, he was in a wheelchair. <laughs> and then, this is where the cars live. Get you one. This is one of my favorite lines. <clears throat> and then, of course, there's Tiny Tina. Um, and she's she's great. Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon's Keep is my favorite part of the game um, because of uh, because specifically because of the D&D &D elements. But not only that, you get you get to wrap up how she handles the trauma of losing one of her best friends. Um, and it's just super awesome that they address that in the game. And they did it in a very funny way about addressing trauma, but they did it in a very serious light, too. So, <clears throat> she goes, um, and what's the, oh, yeah. So, I'd like so you to meet my fine ladies. This is, like this is Lady, uh, what did she say? What is, she calls the two bunnies, uh, she says they got, a, they got some big badonkadonks, voiced by Ashley Birch. That's one of the main reasons. Do I have time to get, in, get into that? Uh, yeah, but uh, let's uh, let's uh, switch gears now because we're actually going to watch some of those cutscenes a little bit later, and I'll turn the volume up. Um, but yeah. let's switch gears a little bit and talk more about the gameplay. Like, um, as I was watching your playthrough, and I'm I, I told you before, and I've told other people, I'm not a big fan of um, shooters. You said this is a looter shooter. Um, yep. So the the big thing about it that really surprised me as I was watching your playthrough is the mechanic in which you're you're on death's door you're you're down and it yep. looks like you're about to die and the way that you revive yourself and get that second wind is by taking out another enemy and if there's not an enemy nearby guess what you die and you and you go back so that was really interesting to me but uh, can you talk some more about like the gameplay the controls yeah. uh, the D, D elements that are coming into play here okay so to start with, you you have a maximum of four weapon slots, and then you have an accessory slot, a shield slot, and um, in the first game, you have what's called an artifact slot, which kind of enhances your uh, the class that you take. Every character has a different type of combat role, and uh, they also, within those different type of combat roles, you have um, classes. So there's different experience trees. So you'll see that I am a level 49 Tranquil Sniper. The Tranquil Sniper part comes from the artifact that I have that's kind of a class mod. They call them class mods. 
um, and it gives me bonuses to my abilities um, that stack up the later in levels you get. So um, when you start off at level one, you have your access to your main secondary ability, which I don't use it too much uh, here. I use it more in the boss fight. But for example, each of the four main characters, main protagonists, have a unique special ability. Uh, in the first one, the siren could lift people up and hold them in sort of a stasis. And the uh, berserker brick would go into a fit of rage and just punch everything out. And then you had the sniper, which would call uh, his familiar companion Bloodwing, and it would give you different benefits based on which class you were. Uh, and then the fourth one, Roland, uh, he was kind of the soldier. He would pop down a turret, which also, it either healed you, gave you extra ammos and shields, or disrupted the enemy in, in some form or fashion. So each one of those characters, um, and that translates, uh, that transfers over to the second one. In the second one, you have Zero, which is my favorite character. He's a nameless assassin that speaks only in haikus. Um, and his special ability is uh, where he turns... He cloaks himself and then he creates a digital version copy of himself to kind of throw off his enemies. And depending on which class you go with, you'll have uh, you'll have the ability to either increase your damage um, or uh, increase your healing or your firing capacity to some extent. And then um, the siren again, she has an ability where you can push people back or pull them towards you. Um, not so much hold them in stasis. Uh, her name is Maya. And then the quote-unquote berserker is called a gunzerker in this one. He's a smaller uh, guy. He's he's the smallest character in the game. <laughs> but he's like small in height, not small in stature. Um, he has this ability called gunzerker where you can hold two guns at the same time. And it uses up the ammo, but the ammo replenishes while you're in the special mode. Um, the special mode is actually on the top, uh, on the bottom left hand of the screen. Yeah, you see, I use it right here minutes, specifically, uh, uh, in the playthrough, whenever yeah, the, everything highlights blue. Um, and then the, uh, last one, which is the soldier again, he deploys, uh, he can deploy up to two turrets, uh, later on in the levels. Anyway, so you have the you have the ability to switch through your four weapon slots you have the ability to interchange your shields and shields do different things and give you different yeah, benefits where you're talking about second wind um is every time you're downed you're not immediately killed you have a small timer depending on how many times you get down um where you have to fight for your life to get back up it's kind of like an adrenaline rush you get from finishing off your opponents right in the first game it was nice and refreshing but the problem was is that you couldn't move so the higher in levels you got, the smarter the NPCs got, and they would actually, the enemies, they would actually take cover. So you couldn't crawl your way over to kill them if you didn't have anything within eyesight or you couldn't find anything to tra track and trace. Then you just die right there. You would drop. Hmm. Uh, in the second game, they did a lot better, and they made it to where you could slowly crawl around during, and it didn't affect your duration or anything while you were in your second win mode. Uh, and then, of course, um, since I'm playing this solo, um, you can't see it, but other uh, other players in your team, you can have up to four players in a game, uh, in multiplayer, they can actually pick up a downed uh, character, so a downed player. So you can go and help your um, buddies recover uh, while they're in, you know, while they're fighting for their life. Yeah. But yeah, the only thing you can't do, uh, it, this is both in the first and the second game, you had to have a special ability, which came from the Berserker and the Gunzerker, 
you can't throw grenades because there's grenades that actually have help you heal. Um, there's also guns that can help you heal, but there's grenades that heal that I like specifically. Um, and when you're in when you're in second wind, you can't do that unless you're a gunzerker or you're a gunzerker or you're brick, and he has a special ability uh, that lets you do that while you're downed. And the reason why I keep on getting downed right here specifically is because I have this small shield that whenever it's fully charged, it gives me plus 100% damage bonus on my first shot. But then I switch over to an adaptive shield, which absorbs every time it gets hit by a certain element type. And that's another thing, too. Um, weapons and enemies deal damage based off of element types. In the first game, there was only four uh, known elements. In the second game, there are five. So the four known elements were um, they were cold, acid, um, fire, and explosive and then or no an electric uh and then in the second one they expanded it with explosive and slag um and so slag kind of took the place of in the first game you had very specific weapons that operated like slag but they dealt a lot more damage over a period of time and this one slag just increases the following damage you take yeah now um, now um the, the playthrough you sent me i i went ahead and divided it into two parts we're about halfway through the first part now and i did that at a specific point in which i saw you completely change your strategy to try to defeat yes. this demonic sorcerer and uh obviously it worked as we get to the end and we find you beat the sorcerer but um it was interesting to watch some of the strategies you went through like saying okay let's try this and that's not working or you have to change and now you're using your adaptive shield yep yeah this is actually the point that i'm using it in and this is where i start specifically going okay well Rather than trying to pour out as much damage as I can with the bigger guns, why don't I try to whittle them down because I have all these ammo crates and bonuses lying around. So I it then becomes a game of attrition because when you're fighting this, and this is, in, this is the final boss of Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon's Keep, and it's Handsome Jack or the Handsome Sorcerer. So it's basically you go through three different levels, uh, and each level is harder and harder. So I defeated the first two levels handily because... I have the right equipment um, for that. But then on this level, I it's been a while since I had picked up the game again. So I had to basically relearn how to approach this. And it's a lot easier with four people because, you know, you saw me go down so many times. And, you know, if I had four or if I had three other players with me, they would be able to help me back up. Well, and I probably would have handled this a lot easier. Well, and I also saw that, you know, throughout the majority of this first part, like you weren't getting the the uh, stat bar for the sorcerer down below like say 80 percent or 75 percent yeah. tops and then once you switch strategies and it you know there was one point at which you almost beat them got them down to like 10 percent but then you died um <laughs> you know obviously you had to find just the right strategy and and to me that that's like every single video game in history is you keep on doing it over and over again until you find the right strategy to go ahead and win how many times did doom spend on you know black tiger last weekend just trying to find the right strategy to get what he wanted to do for that you know and, and any video game that anybody plays really that's how it goes you just okay that didn't work let's try it again and you just keep on reloading until you get it done yeah so the 
the thing about whenever we're this high, and this isn't really a good example. I tried to find another playthrough, um, but unfortunately, the thing about being this high in character is that there's a lot of bonuses and perks that you get from even your weapons. Like, what I'm using right now is a submachine gun, um, and it has two extra clips. So rather than having maybe 30 shots a clip, I'm getting 54 shots a clip out of two clips. Um, and that ammo capacity is increased by my um, class mod as well as my uh, level bonuses. So what I'm playing right now is a version that we call New Game Plus. And you don't get access to... You can do Tiny Tina's. Um, the thing about the thing that I like about Borderlands 1 and 2 uh, as far as like DLC and 3 to some extent is that you can, once you download the DLC, once you have it on your game, um, you can actually um, play the DLCs but they all they have a they have a minimum cap, right? So Tiny Tina's minimum cap is at level 34. So if you first play your copy of Borderlands 2 and it has all the DLC on it, you don't want to start with Tiny Tina's because you're going to be a level one walking into, you know, this spot. And you can't anyway because the game doesn't allow you to fast travel. Um, and that's another part of the game that I didn't describe is that you have vehicles. Uh, in the first game, it's just one vehicle. Uh, and in the second game, it gets expanded into three different types of vehicles. Um, and you don't have anything like in Halo where you have like low arrow or low um, flying vehicles or high flying vehicles. You don't have those yet. Um, but you just have, you know, wheeled vehicles. Have I tried? Yes, actually. Um, it's not as good as Borderlands 2, in my opinion. We actually beat it all the way through. Um, so the wife and I, I first got her into Borderlands with Borderlands 2 shortly after, uh, we met because we would always have land parties, uh, at my apartment. Um, and we would literally hook up four Xbox 360s and play Borderlands 1. So whenever they announced number two, my whole, my whole squad was like, all right, we're getting copies this, the first day we had somebody pre-ordered and I just waited until they released and I got the, I got the um gamestop special edition that where they had the mask um you know you know what i'm talking about legion they had the psycho mask version i think it was yeah something like that um there was a version i think that had a mini handsome jack statue yep and a mask and then they had the big loot chest version yeah the version i got was the version that didn't have I, th I want to say it had the Psycho Mask, but it might have been the Handsome Jack Mask. But anyway, it was an extra 20 bucks. I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Uh, it included uh, the special weapon bonuses, that, or special starting weapons, because you would get your normal weapons, and then if you bought if you bought it from, um, if you bought the special edition from GameStop, you would get the three extra Atlas uh, weapons, or not at Hyperion weapons, um, that were better than the starting weapons. So anyway, um getting back to where i left off uh how you would get around in this world in borderlands 2 and 1 was you would go you would hit up fast travel stations and i'm going to tell you the writing is so brilliant in this game series that you would actually you would actually become what's called a digistruct and it's all done by hyperion every time you would respawn after you die there was 15 different reactions you would get from the automated respawn station and um and it would always be a playoff of how you're a digitally reconstructed uh copy of your original body so 
you know, you would sit there and it would have like very no existential way. quote, you know, existential dread kind of quotes like, um, no. uh, Hyperion cannot guarantee that you'll be, uh, that you'll be resurrected in your original body or something like that. And it was, it was awesome. I gotta say, just to really like hammer it in about how like quippy and cunning the writing was. They even had a play on something as simple as respawning, um, as far as dialogue goes, and it was great. I en I enjoy that part about all three games. They they always have some quippy line for even something as minuscule as getting around uh, death. And you, you as a video game talking, character, talking about the writing, you talking about how uh tiny tina is one of your favorite characters she's she yep. is voiced by ashley birch uh anthony birch who is her brother actually was the scriptwriter. yes so um i was telling scotty about that uh before we started and one of the main reasons why i even followed this series in the first place was because back in the back in the early days of youtube and the internet i watched hey ash what you playing religiously so i knew about the birches way before um borderlands was a thing and what what kind of like got me concrete in the series that, uh, in and of itself is that what made me such a diehard fan is that both Ashley and Anthony had made it from YouTube to working for Gearbox and voice acting. And Ashley has a beautiful career. She did uh, the main character in Her uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. She's in uh, the KO Kid. Um, she's been in several like really great voice acting um projects and she just continues to shine whereas anthony birch uh continues to work for uh gearbox software and other uh video game companies and he's even done writing on uh he's even done some like moonlight writing on some series uh on hbo and as well as like cartoon network i think so yeah um when they first started talking about the first Borderlands, Anthony would gush over it. He made he made two episodes on their YouTube channel entirely devoted to Borderlands. Um, and whether it was comical or whether it was like a technical breakdown of the game or the writing and how much he loved it, he did that so much that Gearbox reached out to them and they were like, "Hey, do you want to come work on a work on a project with us?" He filmed while he was there working on Borderlands Two. They filmed three shorts while they were there in the office for hey ash what you plan and i wasn't able to figure it out until borderlands 2 came out in fact anthony birch has a voice credit in borderlands 2 where he plays the copy uh one of the decoys of uh handsome jack in uh, hyperion city new hyperion city i don't know if you knew that legion i didn't no he, actually yeah didn't he, he like while you're shooting him he goes uh he goes uh ow stop please Stop. Wow, you're hurting me. <laughs> so yeah, and then Ashley Birch, of course, she she voices Tiny Tina and you know, she's she's a phenomenal talent again, but um she's my wife's favorite character. Well just in watching um they, I guess it was Borderlands one then that was uh Isnip was playing the other day, um, you know, and watching one of the cutscenes with Tiny Tina in her garage. I mean, it was just hilarious. Absolutely oh, fantastic yeah. writing. The dialogue was great. Yep. And, you know, what's so funny is how you originally meet Tiny Tina. She's a friend of Roland's, and he calls her the demolitions expert. Um, and at this point in the game and the timeline, she's about, 
I want to say like 12 or 13. Um, and whenever Roland first met her, of course, she was like nine or 10 years old. And, and her, par her parents were killed by a family or her family was killed by psychos. And one of the very first missions, uh, whenever you meet her, is to go kill, uh, go kill a gang of psychos and bring their leader back and watch as she tortures them. And it turns out that that, that psycho that she's torturing is the the very same that killed her parents and so it's like they they uh, they approach a very serious subject in such a comical way again genius writing here um and you can see how the character of tiny tina even though she got messed up by the whole ordeal still maintains enough sanity to just channel her uh grief and all that through uh her unique explosive talent yeah, and we're going to get to that here in the second part. It's um, it, it's it's quite the uh, scene as she's uh, recounting the story and puts her own little personal spin on it as a method of uh, dealing with what happened. What's up, my legend? But yeah, um, as far as gameplay and mechanics go, um, one of the things that makes this unique from Call of Duty and Halo and all these other games is that in the game... Um, you in the first one you rely specific solely on class mods um, to help with your accuracy, to help with your bullet damage and your grenade damage and your element effectiveness, and that's class specific. Now in the second one, what they do is they do the system where um, you have these extra badass tokens, and you accrue badass tokens by doing these things in the game, like getting a certain amount of headshots. Um, killing with melee, doing all this stuff. And these badass tokens you can use to up the percentage on your gun accuracy, your type of weapon accuracy, your grenade damage, your shield, your fire rate, your recharge delay on your shield, all these different things, your weapon swap speed. So um, you can tell that the creators of the game and the developers really put top, uh, thought and time and effort into the second game. It wasn't like, oh, well, the first game went so well, um, we're just going to do the same thing again. And, like, they didn't give it the EA treatment where they just reskinned the original game. They actually gave this game its sort of, like, standalone qualities and improved upon what they did in the first one. Like I said before, when you're in fight for your life and you're trying to get your second win kill in the first game, you have to stay still. Well, in this one, you can move around, and then the third one as well. Well, and, and, and I was also reading about how, like, in the first one, it was all kind of, like, self-contained little capsule worlds that you had to travel between one or, and the other, whereas in uh, the second one, it was one all-inclusive world, and the NPCs can actually travel to different areas outside of their own little storyline. So um, I'm actually going to... Uh, we're going to take a break here in just a second. You're listening to the Arcade Nostalgia Memories podcast. We're coming up to the end of the first part of the playthrough here. And when we come back, we're going to be discuss, uh, discussing more of the memories surrounding this that Joe has. Um, you know, where the nostalgia comes from and, and what kind of... Uh, meaning it holds for him today. Uh, if you are listening to the podcast, you can check us out on Twitch and watch the uh, actual recording of the podcast that happens about once every two weeks uh, on my channel, which is twitch.tv slash EBC 2021. And I'll also uh, put out... Um, 
shout outs to my co-host legion cage which is uh he's at twitch.tv slash legion cage spelled l-e-g-i-o-n-k-a-j-e and our guest this evening which is the joho and he's at twitch.tv slash t-h-e underscore j-o-h-o and you can check us out on Twitch at any time. Um, usually we have the VOD uh, immediately, and then the actual audio podcast is posted within eh, usually 48 hours. I can get the editing done and get it up on the uh, RSS feed. Um, so once again, if you're listening on the actual podcast, check us out on Twitch, and you can uh, see the recording of the podcast live in real time. Plus, you can actually see the video of the playthrough as we're watching it and commentating on it um so we're going to take a short break here and be back in just a few seconds uh with part two of the playthrough and we'll see you in just a little bit anyway um all right so we're gonna continue here now with the uh, second part of the playthrough um which like i said previously um the uh tactics you used in the second part you drastically changed up like it looks like you went over to a shotgun and a rocket launcher at times um Mm -hmm. just to be able to pack that extra powerful punch and then you started uh actually using some of the movements of the sorcerer against him and and starting to manipulate just exactly how to you know get more hits in without taking as much damage but um, as as we're running through this part of the playthrough, you, you mind talking about like um, how you started out with this game and and you know why it became such a big hit with you in your childhood? Well, like I said, it wasn't my childhood. I was uh, let's see, twenty twelve. Uh, gosh, I was working on kid number two on and twenty twelve. <laughs> The reason why this holds such a special place in my heart is because, like I said before, um, I grew up with every console, and then in the in the late '90s, uh, mid to late '90s, uh, I was introduced to PC gaming from my friend. And yeah, I do have favorite games from back in the day, like Smash Brothers, but that's not as interesting to talk about because that's a party game. You know, that's a party fighting game, and and I can spend all day talking about that. But honestly, Borderlands is a much more interesting game. It's a. I think it's not as as developed a game as um, like Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, but it's still one of the best developed games uh, to my memory. Uh, and the thing we were talking about during commercial break was the how the replay value of this game, right? Because you can go through and it has new game plus and it has new game plus plus. Um, a little throwback to Crystal or a little throwback to uh, Chronicles there, not Crystal Chronicles. Um, what chrono chronicles chrono yeah chrono chronicles um so i honestly think that the reason why this holds a special place in my heart is because i was at a bad place whenever i was first introduced to borderlands one and two uh so this really helped me through a lot of times and it actually strengthened the bond between myself and and my play group because i had just come off of a really rough relationship that was three and a half years of just constant you know i still see that the fighting to this day with my ex and this shotgun by the way that i switch off to using this is how fun the game is real quick aside this shotgun is specifically special to the tiny tina's assault on dragon's keep it shoots swords that explode into smaller (laughs) swords so it has like a miniature it's called the gun 
it's uh it's called the sword gun uh like shotgun or something like that something ridiculous and it was made by um uh torg another like really out there character and he just comes up with this he's like he's like no no it's a uh, it's a gun that shoots swords that shoots smaller swords and it was amazing um but yeah you can kind of tell it has like this radius effect whenever i shoot the ground around the uh sorcerer um new game plus sounds like gamer toothpaste so anyway really rough time in my life as far as the nostalgia goes right we all had 360s and we would either do so every day let me give you a glimpse into uh the young joe's uh bachelor pad it was a one bedroom 700 square foot uh dinky little apartment and um at all times of the day there would be more than one person in that uh apartment and it wouldn't be me because i was working 12 hour days i would come home and we would do uh four and a half days of role playing uh, whether it be D&D, &D, Savage Worlds, uh, Abney Park's Airship, and or just straight up um, Big Eyes Small Mouth, which is one of my favorite role-playing systems. And then, uh, if we weren't doing that, we were playing uh, Battlefront 2, the, the OG Xbox version. We'd be playing Super Smash Brothers, Left 4 Dead, or Borderlands. So every time somebody would come over, they would either have Magic Cards, RP Games or they would be bringing their xbox 360 and we would hook them all together because i had a cat 5 and a hub i had a bunch of cat 5 and a hub from a previous install tech job that i did and we would just hook all of our xboxes up to the same network and just sit there and play um battlefront 2 borderlands left for dead one or two uh and so that's like where i lived my best life it was like whereas people went to parties 24 7 my house was the party I had friends that were sleeping on the couch um, or, you know, they would they would be sleeping in my bed while I was gone to work and we would just stay up and I would go to work the next day off of four and a half hours of sleep and not even bat an eye. Those good times. They're really good times. <laughs> it helped me kind of like escape the kind of moral ambiguity that I was experiencing with having a kid with somebody that I didn't love uh, and having to kind of share that space after the divorce or after the separation and then the divorce. Well, the, I mean, really any, any game that you have nostalgic memories for, I mean, there's, there's going to be something behind it. Some reason why you're psychologically, you're, you're wondering, you know, why is this game in particular of importance? And, I mean that's that's as good a reason as any. I mean, uh, as I, I had stated previously in in uh, the first episode, my my big thing was when I was growing up, I had my NES, but I was only allowed one hour per of play per day. That was it. That was the limit that my parents placed on me. And and the the big thing about that was that can you actually beat Super Mario Brothers in an hour? Well, <laughs> maybe if you're a speedrunner, and I, I'm sure that's how a lot of speedrunners get their start, just trying to do it over and over again and whittle down that time. Okay, finally you beat the game, and now how fast can we beat the game? And you keep on going lower and lower, and then eventually you're on you know worldrecord.com. Uh, those types of memories are the things that, that build a lot of character, I think. Um, the the time that you've spent putting it into 
this this kind of art form and and I, I always thought it was kind of hilarious, you know, some of the claims that were made back in the day that, you know, video game violence caused kids to become more violent. Oh, and my gosh. That was they so said the same thing about, you know, rock and roll back in the 50s. And it's like, you know, mm-hmm. no, it really has no effect on society, but it sure as hell does influence you as a person in the way that you operate, uh, the, the kind of games that you play to... Um, you know, escape from stress or uh, just to entertain yourself, have fun, the way you interact with your friends. I mean, in particular, you were just talking about, like, uh, connecting up your Xboxes with a LAN cable. If you didn't have that LAN cable, that Cat5, and you said... Okay, how, what are we going to do? Okay, then maybe it's going to be a D&D campaign or maybe it's going to be, you know, something else. But you had ex- uh, accessibility to that. You had the wherewithal to go ahead and do something like a LAN party. And and I see people in the chat, you know, posting, hey, that was the best, LAN parties. That was not a part of my <laughs> childhood or, or even as, you know, an adult. So that was something I never experienced, but obviously it was a big part of how you did things when it came to gaming yeah my first my first exposure to land parties in general was back in uh Thank 96 97 um whenever they had these computer stores that would have uh like there were pseudo arcades back in the back room um but they would they would have these kind of like general use pcs that you where you'd hook up and you would play um, you would play stuff like Counter-Strike or um, you'd play Quake. Um, so, yeah, like, honestly, wow. LAN parties were really cool for me for, like, from 97 to 2003, just just before I graduated, um, because I would just go over to a friend's or I would go over to one of those stores. They're no longer existing anymore. They they do have LAN, quote-unquote, LAN centers, but they're called eSports centers. Legion... I know you know this. I know you were creeping around some of those land land uh, land party stations or whatever they call them. They were land stores, I guess you can call them, where you would pay you would pay for like per hour use or per day use. I don't. Did you have that uh, in Ohio? Um, honestly, no, not until actually. There, it's f- funny story about that. There's actually one like that, literally down the road from my house now that's it's only kind of been a thing for a few years uh he actually used to conduct business with me at my store like he'd come and like pre-order all his stuff uh for me uh or from me uh specifically and give us the business for it so it was real nice uh he wasn't happy when i left my job uh (laughs) but uh, (laughs) like no and you know you talk about uh the evolution of that kind of um with esports centers yeah they're big sports oh my god like yeah i remember um reading an article uh that my company had put out because they were investing in an esports uh arena or not like uh, arena a performance center i'm sorry like an actual training facility for esports teams they uh were trying to get into the esports real big they were actually like moving towards opening stores that were land centers where they would have you know two or three rows of computers and everything was all interconnected you could play with any terminal you could log into your steam account and, and download games onto it and play them uh, 
<laughs> you know, they had systems set up where they'd have like Xbox Ones and PlayStation 4s and everything you could log into your account. You could play online with other people in the in the center or outside the center or whatever. Like it, there there's there's a big thing about it and it, it all came from those types of centers that you were talking about, you know, going to. Um, but we never, I never had them in my area. At least if we did, I didn't know about them. Yeah. So one of the, yeah, one of the, one of the things I lived out in the middle of nowhere, West Texas, and it was this town called Midland. Um, and one of the things that I liked the most about Midland was that we had two card shops at the time. Uh, whenever I was growing up, going through middle school, high school, um, we had two card shops. We had a land center um, and two computer stores. And for a town that was about, I don't know, 60, 60 to 90,000 uh, in population, we had those things to where I could go out. Uh, and of course, I lived I lived about 15 minutes outside of town so where we could go out and, um, you know, I would carpool with a friend and we'd go out and we'd, we'd play Pokemon at the at one of the card stores. Uh, and then we uh, later on, I was introduced to magic. So I was doing that. But then if the card store was closed, then the land centers would always be open until about two or three o'clock in the morning. And we'd just go to these land centers and we'd either hit up the arcade or we'd play a few rounds of Quake, Counter-Strike, or um, we would, they had Halo there too, uh, whenever the Xbox, the original Xbox came out later on um, in the early 2000s. But yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and it kind of shaped my experience around gaming. And, and that's whenever... It wasn't until like latter end of high school when junior senior year, whenever I would go over to my friend's house and he had two computers and he let me use one of them. One, of course, the one that didn't perform as well. And we would be playing, um, we would be playing like MMOs. Like uh, we played, well, actually we played Warcraft. Um, it was Warcraft two and three that I remember the most, or we played uh, Command and Conquer. We played uh, Civilization. And then what was the other big one at the time? Anyway, we would just do that. We would just sit there and play that. Or we'd we'd sit down on his GameCube and we'd take turns playing Eternal Darkness. And we'd we'd put hours. I'm telling you, this is how this is how many hours we put into Super Smash Brothers Melee. We played four thousand nine hundred and ninety nine matches. Do you know what the retail for Super Smash Brothers Melee is? Forty nine ninety nine. We got an achievement. That said, congratulations, you've played 4,999 4, <laughs> versus matches. You've played every cent out of the game. That's how dedicated we were to that game. And I actually was pretty good in my region, too. I was one of the best Marths in my region for the collegiate circuit. And and then also, uh, how vastly different that is from the arcade experience in the 80s and the early 90s when basically... You know, you'd go in there and and maybe you were there with friends, but it was also kind of a loner experience where you'd go in and, you know, get your quarters and maybe a drink and, and sit there and, you know, pump quarters into the same game or, you know, go around and try your hand at something new. But it was it was kind of like a solo experience, and and yeah, there was some two player games. Uh, eventually, later there was a few four player games like X Men and um, Simpsons and things and like that. Yeah, turtles. Oh, yeah. Um, but it, it probably didn't have nearly the same amount of uh, like interactivity as you could with like a LAN party or or even the stuff that you would do at home. You know 
playing two-player NES games or, you know, even further when it came to Xbox and stuff like that where you could do that interconnectivity. Um, even I remember playing with um, a friend of mine that had uh, two Windows 95 PCs hooked up together and they were hooked across, the, you know, across the room from yeah. each other and playing Bolo <laughs> yeah. on that. Um you know that that didn't come until a little bit later in the gaming scene. Uh, oh goddammit! Seems like <laughs> oh goddammit! Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, we can see you know now in your gameplay here on the playthrough, you definitely have changed up your. Are you cheesing? Yeah, the I'm boss exploiting. Right now? Damn it. I'm What's that? Close. I said, are you cheesing this boss right now? Like... I I am cheesing this boss. That got to that point because. Uh, the other options of like stick and move, um, I get them down so low right here. That was I was so close, but um, I figured out that you can you can just respawn and then go up to this part, and then when you get within a certain amount of feet from him, he does this attack to kind yeah. of blow you back. But since one part of the stage, the uh, only one part of the stage has a back wall that he won't knock you over the side of the stage, and you won't fall down and have to reset the boss. Um, I just cheesed him. I started cheesing him on this. And my uh, my character here, Zero, uh, his Tranquil Sniper, so that he does 300% uh, damage on critical hits. So I'm always aiming for the face on this guy with my shotgun. Um, and it gets to the point to uh, where I'm going to switch over to my Sniper Rifle. My Sniper Rifle has uh, deals 4,000 damage per bullet. So then 4,000 plus 300%. Uh, on criticals and i'm dealing like a 120 plus k each critical hit so i'm pumping damage into this guy and then uh it looked like the the way you finally got him was he got caught behind the stairs at one point there and you're just like you yeah. know unloading into his face um, so you'll notice that what i do right here is and i repeat the jumping pattern because again the little aoe that he does blasts you back if you're caught in it but it also has a height uh, restriction, so it can only hit you while you're so high in the air. So I, every time he goes up, I jump, and that causes a, as much of a kind of frame delay to where the attack no longer hits me. Right. Um, and so I, I cheese it on that one, and then he he moves to the right slightly, and he gets stuck on the stairs to the point to where he has to constantly recycle through his animations to jump over it because he has this little flying floating move. And that's whenever I take advantage of it, and I uh, use that as my final strat. So um, while it's not the best showing, this is kind of an example of the ability to approach the same boss different ways. Uh, and like I said, it's a single-player experience. So in a game that's meant for two to four players, and honestly, um, honestly, uh, you know, I think it would have been a lot easier had we had more people playing it. But again, um, you know, this is just to highlight the replay value of the game and, and how much nostalgia I have in it. Um, but yeah, as far as like how this game has shaped me, I've been a lot more. I used I, I'm a very competitive person in general, like in my nature. Um, so I still play racing games or fighting games very competitively. Shooters, not so much. I know I can't touch shooters. This is the best I can do as a shooter. Uh, and that's part of the reason why I like to play it so damn much is because <laughs> a lot of the stuff is done for you. Like, a lot of the hard stuff is done for you as far as, like, being accurate. Right here is where I catch him on the stairs, and I just adjust to that strategy. <clears throat> 
Well, and that speaks. But yeah. That that but, that speaks a little bit to like um, a gameplay styles because like we were just watching the slight a game earlier who was playing one of the I think the third one in the Walking Dead series, and and he's like yeah it's just you know I got to press a couple of buttons here and there and it's mostly like you know ninety percent cutscenes uh, as opposed to something where you have to do all of the work all of the time and it, maybe it isn't necessarily as enjoyable because of that i mean obviously it appeals to some people but yeah, maybe this has a, like a happy medium between the two where you know some of the hard work is already done for you and you're just able to enjoy the actual gameplay there he, he gets caught behind the stairs now yeah yeah so um this is where i switch over to the sniper rifle and and you can see the difference between the sh sniper rifle and the shotgun um immediately as soon as i switch over to him which way did he but, go george um, which way did he go <laughs> <laughs> that's so this is actually what's funny is that you were mentioned arcade games and, and snes games and um pathfinding is such a huge part of developing of development in games that speedrunners specifically look for holes in uh, either npcs or the mapping as far as like pathfinding goes because it's a way to cheat or shortcut the system's uh, processing abilities. Huh? Well, and just in general, those um, th those types of, you know, like glitches that are exploited in speedruns. I've seen, you know, Saf as he's uh, doing his Castlevania speedruns, he'll he'll get up to the top of a flight of stairs and then crack his whip twice and then fall through the floor. And he, you know, obviously, you know, anybody else that's played that game enough times is going to find that same kind of exploit to use and what's wrong with it you know <laughs> yeah yeah i remember i remember seeing a you know they and they do they those speedrunners legitimately find like the craziest techniques i watched a speedrun of legend of zelda ocarina of time where someone like went to the bridge that leads you out of the kokiri woods and they like glitched out of the bridge by backflipping and then they were at the Hyrule Castle and then they did like some other like backflip thing up the chain of the bridge and then they sorry my cats are fighting uh, and then they uh, jumped off that thing with a backflip and they were at the final battle of the game like <laughs> yeah how do you how do you even find that but I, I'll tell um, you what, let, the, let me let me break in here because I'm going to go ahead and turn yeah. the volume up on this uh, and we'll get yeah, to the cutscenes because this is the, the, the crux of uh, Tiny Tina's story. Bloodwing. Hell yeah! So what did you guys think of that fight? I'm looking for some feedback. I like the part where we killed him. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Mordecai? It wasn't. As you step over the corpses of the unfortunate knights who tried to murder their queen, you know you've come okay, to the right place. That reminds me. Well, who else could possibly <laughs> bring the light to right. the world? My favorite part. Uh, who else? But the we'll most get to beautiful, that later. most glamorous, and most graceful queen in history! Stallion! <laughs> 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 wow. 
don't know why I'm surprised. Oh man, <laughs> it seriously brings a tear to my every time. All right, oh, I... so Brick, when we were first introduced to the characters and and Tiny Tina's saying like, "Hey, here's this role playing we're gonna do," and she's like, "Well, first you gotta choose your characters." Brick immediately snatches up uh, Maya's character, the Siren, and he goes, "He goes, ooh, dibs, I pick, I pick the Siren. Her name is Brick." And she is the prettiest. And I just lost my shit at that because that's just brilliant writing because it's such a small line delivered perfectly and that's all you need. Like here, here they're uh, sitting around the role-playing table and this is, again, this is more of a nostalgia factor to me because this is very reminiscent of even during my youth I was doing role-playing uh, and video games were very much a part of that. So it was like a healthy diet of eight and a half hours of role-playing sessions during the summer and then four and a half to six and a half hours of video game playing uh, in the evening. So, like, that's all we did as kids. That's all we consumed. That's what our life was. And, um, you know, the way they did it, they wrapped it all up. And Tiny Tina's uh, Salt on Dragon's Keep is just brilliantly executed. Here we see the scene where she's, uh, you know, coming to grips with losing Roland. And then you see the statue of Bloodwing because in Borderlands 2, you lose people. And that's another reason why I like the game is that... Rather than continuing to expand the cast of characters, and they do the same thing in Borderlands 3, but no spoilers there because that's kind of a newer game. This game's been out for almost 10 years now. But in Borderlands 2, the thing I like about it is that, um, you know, you lose Roland, you lose Bloodwing, two of my favorite characters from the original series, and they're not afraid to pull those punch. You know, they're not they're not pulling those punches. They're like, yeah, you're going to lose people that mean a lot to you. Um, because it not only does it serve a story and narrative purpose, but it also serves as kind of like a, a very good um, plot device to keep it moving forward, to keep you invested in the story. Yeah. I mean, that was that was even the same thing with like The Walking Dead that kind of set itself apart from other shows at the time is they were not afraid to kill off main characters and you never knew who was going to be in, in the crosshairs for that. Yep. So, um, go ahead, Legion, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, like, you know, with, with Anthony Birch writing this, obviously he has very, very deep love of, like, Dungeons & Dragons. So it was a natural thing for, like, a Dungeons & Dragons-themed DLC to come forth. Uh, he is the one of the hosts and the, the quote-unquote daddy master of the Dungeons & Daddies podcast, as Short & Sweet was talking about in chat a little while ago. And Oh, um, I forgot he was in Dungeons & Daddies. I completely yeah. forgot about that. Uh, so like having this DLC was kind of a natural thing and you, you know, kind of like, uh, Hey, I like that they called it bunkers and badasses. It's not Dungeons yes. and Dragons and board yep. games, it's bunkers and badasses. Um, but you know, you think about a role play in D and D and it has those elements like that you guys are talking about, like not being afraid to get rid of characters like you're going to get you know in a D&D campaign you're going to get introduced to characters that your characters like have to learn and talk with and they're going to go away the, like player characters are going to go away you know you know Joe I know you've played a lot of D&D like I'm sure you've lost characters I'm sure that you've as a d dungeon master you've killed characters and these yep. are these are characters that people have to then role play like how did this loss affect them? You know what I mean? So I'll give you a, I'll give you uh, a little backstory. It was, I think it was 99. No, 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 it was 98. And we just started playing Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, or I did. 
and it was a friend's longtime running campaign and i built a uh, wizard and and the thing about wizards and second edition D is they're very squishy and they're very they're not so powerful it's like playing a game on uh legendary mode right you you just everything's hard for you to do it's hard for you to hit people in melee it's hard for you to hit people with a spell your spell ranges suck uh all your abilities are just trash um but i built this character it quickly became one of my favorite characters five and a half months into it we had to write him off because the uh the dm my best friend did something in a tournament in a wizarding tournament because back in the day you had you could determine whether you wanted to do non-lethal damage with your spells and there was a way to do magic duels and stuff like that and um this guy fired this opposing wizard fired uh magic missiles at my wizard and they were not they were lethal they were meant to they were intent on killing him so in a fit of rage uh my mage uh fired or used a fireball and took out the opposing mage as well as about 20 people in the crowd and he became a wanted man so i had to write him off of the campaign and that was very heartbreaking because i had put so much into this guy i mean five months we're in high you know we're in high school i think it was my sophomore year i know it was my it was my freshman year so all that was all i had was just that character i had developed for five months over the summer and and the first bit of the school year so it was a very painful thing to have to let them go because i made one wrong bad decision or the character made one wrong decision so that's a very realistic thing too because you have people in life that you'll have to part with because you know not to the effect of murder but they'll make choices or decisions that you just you can't follow you know or they'll say things that you can't go back on and you have to kind of either distance yourself from them or confront it or address it and uh yeah it was it was very painful i'm still reminded of that every day well and it also seems like in particular borderlands uh, appeals to you specifically because of those D D elements i mean it, it really um adds into the game its own style of saying here you can create your character you can you can do whatever you want with it customize and and, but it's almost to the max like you can you can do it in any way possible including up into you know losing the main characters or or maybe coming up with alternate endings yeah yeah you're exactly right because the thing i like about it is it's a looter shooter which means um the the objective isn't the shooting itself and it's never to get better at shooting. That's just the vehicle to tell the story or the vehicle to get you from point A to point B um, in the game. It's, you know, what really dra- what really, really concretes the whole experience is the story, the dialogue, um, the characters that you can develop. Like you were saying, the customization aspect of it, like that appeals to me as a person at my core because of because of the the role playing and and moreover because of the many years of of gameplay you know like i said console all the way through my parents bought me uh an nes in 93 and i remember sitting in uh our uh quote-unquote basement it was a converted garage that was the lowest part of the house playing uh mario bros with my dad at the time and you know we played that and then we got um tetris and zelda later on that year and then a couple years later the super or super nintendo came out my parents traded in the nintendo and all the games for the super nintendo and i played Star Fox. i played um mario kart and you know 
we kind of developed that pattern of just trading in for the next console up until um i up until the playstation one and that was finally mine and i you know my parents gifted me that on um on christmas and i never looked back since i've always had i've always had uh a console in the house several consoles now well and and you also conduct your own D D campaign so if you're not aware uh joho is uh, one of the uh hosts on the cr game room which has their own separate uh, channel on twitch that's twitch.tv slash cr game room exactly how it sounds and uh on tuesday nights you've been conducting um online D campaigns uh and and i expect that um you, that's probably going to be a, a big part of your repertoire for many years to come is is yeah. continuing those online campaigns and uh, you know continuing this this style of D and d gameplay that i mean obviously it's you know in borderlands it's in what you do on on the twitch channels and it's been a big part of your life this whole time yeah part of i guess part of being a variety of streamers you could do those things but i Anytime somebody talks to me um, about things, my nerd starts to show whenever it's just like, yeah, but have you done D&D? Or you know, how much of D&D have you done? Or what type of role-playing system? Because um, that's just intrinsically a part of who I am. And, and I got Amercy into it. She's the whole reason why we were doing um, D&D on Tuesdays is because Cheesy, Rob, and Amercy, they all came up to me and they said, hey, we've never played before. And Amercy, she bought uh, Doctor Who RP system whenever we first moved uh, to Dallas, and we have yet to play it because I don't feel that I'm qualified enough to it for it for knowledge to DM it. But I would love to play it because, again, it's role playing. Um, it's something that my wife is interested in. She knows a lot about. She's a Whovian, um, and it really does connect people in ways that even even video games can't role-playing connects people it shows you their true side you know there was there was a going back to 2015 um there was a group that i was playing pathfinder with um and we we were a pretty solid group you know we always played commander before then but once we started playing pathfinder we found out the true nature of one of the people in our group and um we eventually had to kick them out of the group uh and as a friend too because we found out what kind of a person he was through role playing and the mm. actions he took both inside and outside the group. Wow. So it is like a it's it's like some it's kind of like a what's the term for it? It's it's like a looking glass into the person's into a person's real self. Right. Know? Yeah, especially in their character development and their actions during the role play. All right, well, we're going to um, wrap up. I, I really want to thank you, Joe, for joining us here this evening. Uh, you have been listening to Arcade Nostalgia Memories podcast. Uh, once again, if you're listening to the actual podcast, you can join us for the live recording on Twitch on my channel. That is twitch.tv slash EBC 2021. And, uh, of course, my co-host is Legion Cage. He has his channel at twitch.tv slash Legion Cage, spelled L-E-G-I-O-N-K-A-J-E and our guest tonight has been the Joho at twitch.tv slash T-H-E underscore J-O-H-O once again thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time about two weeks from now for episode three and uh, hopefully
hopefully you can join us to watch it live being recorded here on Twitch. Once again, thanks for joining us, and good night.